If you want to know what it's like to have a fourth, just imagine you're drowning, and then someone hands you a baby. I like you just the way you are. You're braver than you believe, and stronger than you seem, and smarter than you think. Parenting is a sacrifice, it's exhausting, it's expensive, at times it feels thankless, but eventually you die. Welcome to the Kid Doc Good Job Being the Mom podcast, the podcast dedicated to helping mothers and fathers through supporting, enabling, and empowering them in their amazing role as parents. Hi, Dad. How are you? Good, Anne. How are you today? Pretty good. Just <laughs> excited to be chatting again. It's always fun to talk. <laughs> it is. It's a fun, fun, fun adventure. Yeah, it is. Honestly, the other night I was talking with my husband, Hunter, and he was saying like, I think you enjoy this so much just because you like talking to your dad. I was like, it's true. <laughs> Guilty <Yeah>. as charged. <laughs> Not going to lie. It's a lot of fun. <laughs> For sure. So to kick us off, let's hear about the fa- your favorite place in the world that you visited. I just love Italy. When Amy and I were in the beginning of residency, my parents kind of set up a, a trip on Eurail all over Europe. And just we would go wherever you could take a backpack and and ride a train overnight and, and come out to a new place and stop and visit. So we saw 10 countries in 14 days. And and we've really only been back to Italy since then a couple more times. And we had a big trip with you and Josh planned for your graduation for Italy. And and just my favorite place with the culture, the food, the people, mm-hmm. the art, the history, just it was really an eye-opening place for me. I just love, love Italy. Yeah. Yeah, when you came back, you came back with that Bernini kind of yeah. guide with all of his sculptures. And he's one of my favorite scul- sculptors of all time. So it was fun to see your exposure to art history. That's not something you study in medical school. So fun to have you experience it firsthand. No, and, and never traveling as a kid. And our family never went anywhere on vacations yeah. except between California and Utah. So I was very, very myopic in my view of the world. So but traveling in, in Italy is a is re- very much a renaissance and beautiful place. And so so we'll have to get back with you and Hunter, especially and Josh, since we owe you a trip. So. <laughs> totally. I know. COVID <laughs> smashed our plans, but it, it's all For good. Sure. We've got lots of fun <laughs> in the future. <laughs> we will, so we will re- we'll recover and rebuild. So. We will. We sure will. <laughs> so we get to talk a little bit about the 12-month visit. So what are the milestones that come along with this visit? Definitely some big ones, walking, talking, and then also phasing out bottles and, and pacifiers, stuff like that. So lots of items to cover today. Great. Does the timing on when a child does things developmentally cause concern for parents? All the time. I think that yeah. parents are always comparing their kids you know, to their other kids, to other people's kids. Grandparents are comparing kids for them. They're just knowing <laughs> that the comparisons, but that's okay because it helps parents to contemplate whether their child is progressing normally. So I I tell people it's totally okay to compare. And so just, it's okay. Yeah. This is the one time it's okay, right? (laughs) It is. Well, I don't don't want them comparing saying one's better than the other and saying, oh, this is a smart one. This is a pretty one. Those kind of things. We never want to, to assign a label to somebody. So they feel like the other child is not smart or pretty. But in this case, we're just talking about comparing some of their skills and those kind of things. For sure. Make sure that everything is good to go and healthy. Yeah. Yes. Awesome. So let's tackle some of these milestones. Let's start with verbal skills. What should a child be doing? 
Yeah, by now the average kiddo is saying mama and dada, where when they were nine months old, they were getting some hard consonants like ma and da sounds, but now they're putting them together into some mama and dada sounds. And we expect more from children who are girls and who are first children. So Am, you are a big talker. And we had Josh after you, who was the strong and silent type. So he was a good <laughs> example of how boys and kids down their birth order may not be as big on the expressive language but mm -hmm. it's more a personality thing and not an ability thing. And yeah. I will comment that too much pacifier use can definitely inhibit this. And, and where I served my, my mission for the Church of Jesus Christ, the, the way they describe pacifiers were dummies. So when a, a child was going to get mad, they would spit the dummy and you know they were going to cry. So, But a pacifier really keeps kids from talking. So I work on phasing out pacifiers totally, or at least during awake hours as they get closer to one. Yeah. Cool. What other large milestones motor-wise should a child reach by now? Sure. So about half the kids are cruising and taking some independent steps by now. Now, remember that some kids are more motivated to move than others. So it doesn't mean that the kids who aren't moving as much are lazy, simply that they are content to sit in one place and don't have the desire to move as much. So I, I don't tell people, you know, their kid won't be a good athlete. They just they're just for the moment, they're not big on moving, but keep mm -hmm. practicing with them, give the opportunities to to work on walking and cruising and stuff like that. So just keep working with them for sure. Yeah. Uh, I just have a quick anecdote. So I was talking with one of my cousins and she has a little girl. And at this point, she was only crawling and it was kind of getting close to the point where, you know, we expect they'd be walking and we had a conversation that night. And I was like, you know what, Becca, like, once she realizes that walking is more efficient than crawling, she'll just go for it. And yes. the next day she started walking. So there you go. <laughs> like a little osmosis while she was sleeping. <laughs> well, but that's exactly the point though, is that once the child realizes this is a better way to get around then they do it. So it's, mm -hmm. it's not like you can artificially tell them, Hey, this is better. This is more efficient. So yeah, it's just a great example. Totally. So what, difference between the experiences helping your first child with their development compared with their later children do you see a difference there oh for sure you know and of course you're going to have way more time to work on walking and talking with your first child than with subsequent children as you become spread more thin with your time as busy parents so mm -hmm. you should not feel guilty about this because it is what it is it is reality and it's okay i remember sitting on an airplane reading a book to our 18 month old fourth child I'm thinking this was one of the first times I had read a book with him, mm -hmm. but in case you're worried, he just got a 32 on his first attempt on the <laughs> ACT. So he didn't suffer too much, but it just, that's kind of the guilt. You feel like, my gosh, I'm not yeah. doing enough. I don't, you know, but you're, you know, it's, it's okay. And, and the older sibling like you and Josh and were helpful to reading with him and just, it's part of the family dynamic. Yeah. Yeah. Honestly, it's helpful to have parents that patterned that behavior though, too. Like I remember as a kid, coming downstairs and I think you had the last Harry Potter like on your face and you had like read it all night you know <laughs> <And I'm> like, <laughs> it's just you, I don't know it's fun it's fun to see that pattern um because then you realize oh that's something that's cool to do yeah, I've been waiting for years for that book it took forever <laughs> to come so yeah I couldn't couldn't wait just had to read it through the night <laughs> what about other social skills babies are picking up when does stranger anxiety start to happen yeah, stranger anxiety and separation anxiety are really two sides of the same coin, where this is how 
It maybe recognizes who they can trust, who they don't trust, or who they want to spend the time with. So it starts to happen now and gets really well developed by our next visit we'll talk about and lasts until about three years of age. And there's really interesting, fascinating social studies where you have a baby sitting on a parent's lap and they're very calm. Strangers can come in. The child's well adjusted. They can mm -hmm. keep playing. In the same circumstance with a parent not there and a, and a stranger comes in the room, the kid is just frozen. And it's like a metaphor where you would see a, a mother deer and baby deer the baby deer can look at the mom chewing grass and she's relaxed. And, but if she's stiff and tense and the kid stiffens up, so the baby doesn't have something to refer to, to know that things are okay. So yeah. that, that's a big part of that, that, that's that social development of stranger anxiety and separation anxiety. And so, but it, you know, it makes my exam difficult trying to listen and check kids eyes and ears, but it reassures me that the child is well adjusted and, and knows exactly who they can trust. So yeah. um, so it's, it's a good thing when they have that stranger anxiety. Yeah, which is interesting because in reality, you're not really a stranger to a lot of these kids. They've seen you their whole life, but they don't know right. who you are yet. But, but thankfully, <laughs> thankfully we're, not, we're not besties and hang out so much. So I'm, I'm in the inner circle. So that's a, that's a good totally, thing. Yeah. Totally, totally. I don't know about that. I think that's their loss. <laughs> <laughs> um, how can parents help as babies develop stranger anxiety? So we encourage limiting caregivers. So the, the kids have a fairly small group of people they spend time with one-on-one. -on -one. And we, we do recommend that they socialize in the safety of their primary caregivers so that the kids can develop that, that sense of trust. And But it really is all about time. When I have a grandparent that spends time with a child, but not very much, and they wonder why they don't like them that much, then it's really about time that determines who they'll trust. So if a child is nervous, around a grandparent, the solution is really spending more time together. Yeah, not a bad problem to have. <laughs> it's not, so. So how do we start to transition to whole milk? Super common question where now we can do whole milk where we're transitioning from formula and breast milk um, over to whole milk. And and so what I, what I recommend is having some gradual change of the ratio where you can make up a volume of formula or have a volume of, of breast milk and maybe mix that in an eight ounce bottle, seven ounces of formula or breast milk and one ounce of, of whole milk and, and gradually change that ratio over a couple of weeks just to allow a more gradual transition and easier transition. Because while formula is milk and breast milk has lactose in it, it still is something new for them to digest. And they, they can handle going all at once if you had to, but um, but I do like to at least give the child a chance to have a more, more gradual transition. And the second thing, I guess, well, if we're talking about kind of transitions, we can finally do honey now as well, where we couldn't before. So raw honey and in our family, peanut butter and honey sandwiches are totally a staple without them. Our kids couldn't survive. That is so true. We have a particularly picky brother. And he said that when the, whenever there was kind of a meal, he wasn't super excited about it's like, it's going to be a PB&H night. PB &H. <laughs> Makes himself a stack of peanut butter and yeah. sandwiches. Yeah. So that's and, just a testament to that. <laughs> yeah. And we'll, we'll definitely have a reference to the anecdote for our picky eater when we talk about foods coming up. Yeah. Yeah. We got lots. <laughs> <laughs> are, there any, are there any other food items um, at this age? I just encourage offering healthy food choices so that kids can see what kind of things that are choices to choose from, experimentation with foods. Later on, we'll talk about pickiness and those kind of things. But for now, keep keep, keep putting foods out there so they have a chance to try a whole, whole bunch of different things. Great. 
So let's talk about the dummies and phasing out pacifiers. Yes. <laughs> well, we, we want to try and phase out pacifiers sometime after age one. Nothing has to happen the minute they turn one, but the concern is for delaying expressive speech and for structural problems with jaws and teeth with prolonged use. And, and granted, it's, it's pretty liberal before you really get a lot of problems, but it's nice to at least have some, some goals. And so I recommend starting with awake time and then eventually phase them out with sleep. You can replace them with other comfort objects, such as a blanket and bears and dolls. And so, because those, those those bears and dolls become a big part of your life now that we can start having those in the next year. So do you remember your dolly, M? Yes, I do. It's this little yellow, I'd probably say rag doll, kind of had this like towel type of uh, material. But what's most funny about Dolly was that I'd hugged her so tightly that like all that was left in her neck was just kind of like the fabric so there's no stuffing left to kind of like elevate her posture so her her like head would just kind of like flop around meaning she was very well loved so lots of hugs from little m i love it we, <laughs> we had to actually have additional dolls so we could wash dolly and kind of swap them out kind of like indiana jones the temple of doom to totally. just swap out a dolly that needed to be washed for a dolly that was uh was clean being, being so. loved yes being loved, so. <laughs> Awesome. Let's talk a little bit about phasing out bottles. Okay. Well, like, like the pacifiers, it's time to move on. And so bottles become the, the thing that we use to get so much nutrition in these babies and they're a big part of their, their infancy. But it's time to move on to, to cups. And now there's nothing bad about the bottle itself. I mean, I tell people I'm 50. I still have a bottle um, and it's a, <laughs> a, a camelback bottle. But so it's not about the bottle. It's how you use it. And so if you use a bottle, how you would a cup, meaning you you wouldn't hand a kid a cup of milk in the car seat or to walk around the house or to go into the crib with. And so you can use the, the bottle in, uh, in in a high chair with mealtimes. But when, when you're trying to, to move them out of that, just start putting a cup in that same place and phasing out the bottles when you feel ready for it. So, but, but the big concern for me is that just they have bottles of milk in bed and they have all kinds of cavity issues. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. Are there any new safety items for the one year mark? Yeah. So the, the biggest one we see is for with cars, because we have these, these car seats that are rear facing in their infant seat. And then the law says you can be in, in a forward facing car seat at one year and 20 pounds. But with their big heads and, and not very strong necks, then head on car collisions can be really devastating to infants and accidents. And so mm -hmm. we still recommend they be in a rear facing car seat up until two. And that may mean getting a convertible car seat that's larger that can be rear facing and then turn forward later on. Um, as an aside, the safest place in the car is the back seat in the middle. So <laughs> that's it's just like ripe for a Brian Regan. I know. Right I know. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. Back we'll seat, <laughs> middle feet on the hump. So, so. All right. there you go. There you go. <laughs> it's the worst the worst worst part of the car for kids, but the safest place for the kids. <laughs> Awesome. What about home safety? As the kids get bigger, let's make sure we have locks on cupboards and needing to childproof higher up as the kids can reach higher areas. They require more close supervision around streets and driveways. Really, one of my saddest experiences as a pediatrician is having attended funerals for children who have been run over in the driveways. And it usually involves a much left family member uh, is also part of that experience. And so 
Um, just be really careful now that they're more mobile and can move faster. Mm-hmm. Also around pets, be careful. They, they get a bit more adventuresome and are, are trying to explore and, and even go to strange pets. And so really be careful around them. But I, I would still continue with safety items with gates on stairs until the kids are great at going both up and downstairs and still being careful with choke hazards until they're about three years old. Awesome. Under safety items, should we also cover sunblock? Sure. Being a year old, you've gone through a, a full time around the sun. And so we ha- we've had one of every season. So we should definitely mention sunblock and bug spray. So I use sunblock that's any kind of kid sunblock from the very beginning. So a lot of outdated restrictions that continue on regarding sunblocks that contain PABA that was found to be toxic meant you couldn't use sunblock under about six months of age. So we've, we've moved beyond that and we still use any kind of kids sunblock like water babies or abino is anything made for kids is fine to use always from the very beginning. Okay. What about bug spray? Sure. Again, you've had a, a bug season as well. And so anything that's labeled family strength, and these have lower DEET percentages that are safe for your littles. I don't apply it on their hands because they'll suck it off. But you, you want to have that that bug spray on these kids, spray, spray it on their hat, their clothes, whatever. So as you go for walks, you don't look down and see your baby being attacked by um, by mosquitoes for sure. Yeah. Our, uh, our youngest brother is allergic to mosquitoes. So there are many puffy hands and <laughs> yeah. I'm so sad. Well, and we but love he's, the out- he's good. You know, we love the outdoors so much that we're in a place where he has lots of chances to be bitten by mosquitoes. Yeah, and so. if we're willing to risk it. That's great. Um, are there any closing thoughts? Well, I I think one thing at this point you've taken great care of this child. They're a year of age, and um, there's this con- concept called turbulent speed, and there's a um, a, a, a leader in, in my life that. His name Dieter Uchtdorf, and he used to be the head pilot for for uh, a German airline. And he talked about how when when there's a lot of turbulence, that less experienced pilots try to go as fast as they can to get through it. And what experienced pilots know is that there's an optimal turbulent penetration speed, he calls it, which usually means slowing down. Mm-hmm. and And so what that means in real life is that, that at some point in time, the handprints on the wall will go away and you'll be able to slow down and enjoy life differently. But if you need to have paper plates and put off non-essential items in favor of the essential, that's that's your turbulent speed as a, a young mom or dad to make sure mm-hmm. and kind of slow things down if things are getting too hectic and don't try and, and just power through um, in, in a way to, to get through it. So that's probably one thing I wanted to share. And I think maybe one other item is that the kids don't care much about their first birthday. So try and keep it toned down, not too many clowns and ponies so that they won't care too much as they get older, two, three, four, then you can have more meaningful parties, but the little babies don't care. Just make sure you have a picture with a date stamp on it. So you can show that you had a a party that day for them. So, yeah. (laughs) And, And then we'll, we'll follow back up at 15 to 18 months would be the next time we'll get together on the next uh, next podcast. All right. Great. Thanks, Dad. You bet. Annie. Thanks. Thank you for joining us. We look forward to getting together again next time. Kid Doc is available wherever you find your other favorite podcast. If you enjoyed what we shared with you today, be sure to like us and subscribe to help other listeners like you find us. 
on our website, we will add supporting materials and other helpful items from this and other podcasts. The opinions expressed in this podcast, while carefully considered, are ultimately the opinions of the presenters and not necessarily of our employers or of any other organizations with which we are affiliated. And remember, the content of this podcast shouldn't be seen as a substitute for seeking actual personal medical care. If this is an emergency, hang up and dial 911. Otherwise, schedule a visit with a caring doctor to help with your concerns.